Well, good morning, Grace family. I'm in halfway through week two of my self-quarantine. I feel great. I'm eager to really get back into full swing. But I want to share some important thoughts with you this morning. I really want to continue to answer uh, two questions. The first question is, what is God doing in the midst of all this? The second question is, what should we be doing? I'd really like to answer that second question first. What should we be doing? We saw last week that we should be submitting to governing authorities, that we should be wise and responsible, that we shouldn't be putting the Lord our God to the test by taking foolish risk. And of course that we should pray and even in the midst of a crisis still seek first His kingdom. On top of all that, we shouldn't be anxious. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the how and the why of not being anxious. You know, some time ago, a mother of eight children from Darlington, Maryland, she came home from shopping to find her house quite a bit more quiet than usual. And as we all know, when children are quiet, that can be a bad sign. Well, she looked in the middle of the room. She saw five of her children sitting in a circle on the floor doing something with something. It seemed innocent enough, so she put down her groceries and walked over and looked to see what the kids were doing. And her five children were playing with five little baby skunks. And so she was terrified, and she just screamed, Run, children, run! And they did. They each ran after they each picked up a skunk. And they ran five different directions. Now the mom's even more panicked than before. She screams even louder than before. And this, in turn, scares her children. And as a result, each one of them squeezed their skunk. Now, I've been told that skunks don't like to be squeezed. And these skunks were no exception to that. Now, the result of this mom's panic was one stinky mess. Now think about it for a moment. Before the mom came home, the children were playing quietly. They were still. There was no danger because they hadn't yet frightened the skunks yet. But once mom came home and she panicked, that things got very unpleasant very quickly. Well, the coronavirus is a mess. It's a serious mess. But any panicked response or fear or anxiety is only going to make the situation worse. So our focus of our passage this morning really is don't do that. We're going to look at Psalm 46, and we're going to walk through it, and we're going to answer the two questions that I posed to you at the beginning. What is God doing? And what should we be doing in times of trouble? First of all, the psalm's going to address what we should be doing. So let's look at it. Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2 says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Psalm 46 is a psalm that tells us what to do when trouble comes. It's actually interesting that Psalm 46 was the favorite psalm of the reformer, Martin Luther. In fact, he 
It inspired his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A God is a stronghold, a tower, a bulwark, never failing. See, the truth is this. God is actively busy as your protector, providing strength and help in the midst of any crisis you or I may face. He is our refuge. He is our protector. He actually does, in a real sense, build walls around us. Now, the Bible affirms that God never lets anything into our lives that he cannot turn for his glory and for our good. Some of you remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. I mean, talk about a dysfunctional family. But he had a connection with God. He went to visit his brothers. They threw him in a pit. They eventually sold him into slavery into Egypt. But he rose to power in one of the leading bureaucrats' homes. If you remember, his master's wife, of course, was lonely. She saw this young, handsome Hebrew man, and she tried to seduce him. Of course, Joseph resisted her attempts. Finally, she betrays him. She told her husband that Joseph tried to rape her. And Potiphar, her husband, threw him in prison for three years. Now, what is interesting about this whole story is peppered throughout the story is the constant affirmation, and God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. He was present with Joseph. And he had a purpose for Joseph's life. His power was spent in managing the situation to bring his purpose about. I want to say that again. This is important. His power, God's power, was spent on managing the situation to bring his purpose about. The same is true in our lives. God is ever present and he always has a purpose. So we need not fear. Notice what he says. Let's just read all three verses together. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Now, the only time the mountains of the earth have ever slipped into the heart of the sea is during the time of the flood in the days of Noah. Now, what's the point here? There is an important point. The point is, if we don't need to fear, even when the worst thing that has ever happened on the earth in history happens that we sure don't need to fear now. Just like God proved to be a refuge to those who knew him during the days of Noah, and he provided an ark for them, God will also prove to be a refuge for us in these days, and he'll provide whatever we need. There was a young girl, and she was unaccustomed to traveling, and she took her first train ride, a train ride across the country, a train ride in which she was going to cross several rivers and wide streams. Now, the water seen in advance always awakened certain doubts and fears in this young girl because she wondered how the train would cross that, those rivers and those streams. However, the closer they got to the water, a bridge appeared and furnished their way across. 
Well, after this happened three times, finally the young girl leaned back with a long, deep breath of relief and confidence, and she said, somebody has put bridges for us all the way. Well, this is the truth of the life of a believer. This is the truth for you and for me. So many fears and so many things really do surround us because of difficulties that we encounter. But as these difficulties loom before us, and as we advance through them, we find out that really God has made a way through them because God has built bridges for us all the way. So what do we do when trouble comes? The first thing we do is we realize that God is our refuge. He is a very present help in trouble. Now, you don't have to reach further than the tips of your fingers to lay hold of the hand of God. He is with you right now. He's ever-present help in times of trouble. You know, I talked with two people this last week. They had the exact same pressure upon them. In fact, they were similar in about every way I can think of. But one reacted one way to this present situation, and one reacted in the exact opposite way. Now, why is that? When trouble comes, it's like the hot sunshine. For some people, it can harden them like clay, and for others, it can soften them like wax. It really depends on what you're made of and how you choose to respond to the heat that really comes your way. So here's what we have to do in times like this. We have to realize that God is our refuge. We have to believe it and we have to receive it. I want you to think about that for just a moment. God, our loving Heavenly Father, He's your refuge. God, the one who loves you more than you love yourself, He's your refuge. God, whose thoughts toward you outnumber the grains of sand on every beach and every beach in the world, He's your refuge. The God that loves you so much that He sent His only Son for you to die for you, He's your refuge. The God who sings songs over you, the God who smiles when He thinks of you because He loves you, that's the one we're talking about who is our refuge. The God who has everything under control, is always wise, is always loving, is always good, and always has a purpose. He's the one who is your refuge and my refuge. So just realize that and just receive that today. Believe it. Receive it. There's a second thing that we must realize about God from the psalm, and that's verse 4. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. Now, the term city of God, as far as the psalmist is concerned, really is the picture of his favorite place, and that's Mount Zion. Mount Zion is where the temple was. Mount Zion is where the tabernacle of the Most High was. Mount Zion was a place where God's presence dwelled. It's where God was worshipped. In fact, if you read further in the New Testament, you discover that the city of God is another term for the church of Jesus Christ. Let's look at it in Hebrews chapter 12. 
verse 22 and 23. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. In the Old Testament, the city of God on Mount Zion, ancient Jerusalem, was a picture of the fact that God in His tabernacle was resident among His people. So then we should understand that the church, which is composed of people born again by the Spirit of God, people indwelt by the Spirit of God, that God is a resident in our midst. Actually, He's resident in each one who knows Jesus as their Savior and the Lord of their life. So think about this. What do I do in times of trouble? First of all, I realize that God is my refuge. But I don't stop there. Secondly, I realize that God is resident in my life. He lives in me. COVID-19 might be spreading all around, but God is resident in me. I want you to notice again what verse 4 says. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. The one who is resident in you, think about this, is the Most High God. What does that mean? It means He's the one who is seated on the throne above all thrones. He's the one who is ordering the universe. Therefore, He is not only this God of purpose. He's this God of all power that can accomplish all his purpose. I mean, what an exciting thing it is really to think about this as a Christian. Now, it doesn't mean as a Christian that you're immune from trouble. It doesn't mean you don't have problems. What it does mean is that the God who lives in you is the one controlling it all. The God who loves you, who lives in you, is controlling it all. So realize that God who's resident in your life is the God of power and purpose. He is the most high God. And just to make sure we get this point, the psalmist now has a refrain. He repeats this point in two different, uh, two twice in another way. Psalm 46, he says in verse 11, and also in verse, uh, verse 7, he says this. Psalm 46, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. There it is. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He says it again in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He has at his disposal myriads and myriads of angels, hundreds of millions of angels that he can dispatch any time to accomplish his purposes on the earth and is good for you. So he is the one who is with you. He is the one who resides in you. Realize this. So when trouble comes, I'm not afraid. Why? Because God is my refuge and strength. He's a very present time of trouble. But also, He is not only a refuge for me, He's a resident in me. The one who's a resident in me is the Most High God. The one who sits on the throne with all power and always wise and always had good purpose is always arranging and disposing of the events of your life and my life. He is the Lord of hosts and He is with you 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 know i enjoy playing basketball and usually on wednesdays we have a number of guys come play basketball together a lot of young men from the area some very athletic guys come and play typically how we pick teams 
is the first five guys to make a shot from the three-point line are on the one team. The next five guys to make a shot from the three-point line are on the other team. But sometimes I just pick teams. Sometimes I will pick the best players to be on my team. Why do I do that? Because I like to win. And I know that I got a better chance of winning if I got the best players on my team. One time one of the guys said, oh, just because you're the pastor, it means you can pick your team? I said, yes, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what that means. I pick my team, and I pick my team because I want to win and keep playing. Well, I want you to think about this. Think about who it is that is on your team. God is on your team. So how can you lose? So what I do when trouble comes, first I realize God is my refuge. He's an ever-present help in trouble. But not only is he my refuge, he is resident in my life. The Most High lives in me. The one, the God of all power and purpose is resident in my life. But there's more in this psalm. Psalm 46, verse 4, let's look at that one more time. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the dwelling places of the Most High. It's interesting here that he's talking about a river that makes glad. When at the beginning of the psalm, it's, what do I do in a time of trouble? So if you want to really notice how these two can be fitted together and comprehend what God is doing here, what God is doing is he sends a river of blessing to his people who are experiencing trouble. If you want to check out what this river is all about, you can do a study sometime on Ezekiel chapter 47 and John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. If you look at these passages, you'll see that the river of God that flows in the city of God is really a fabulous picture of the activity of the Spirit of God. I mean, to be clear on this, let's see what Jesus says in John 7. John 7, verse 37, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, He who believes in me, as the Scriptures say, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now then John, in the next verse, gives us an explanation. John 7, 39, it says, But this he spoke of the Spirit. So there's no question about it. The picture of the river, according to the interpretation of the New Testament, is a picture of the activity of the Holy Spirit. So the lovely thing about this river is that it brings refreshment wherever it flows because it's a river that makes glad the people of God. So how does this work? Well, the activity of the Spirit of God through things like worship and prayer and the Word of God and the love of God does what? It makes glad the people of God. So when you pray and when you worship, when you're in the Word, there's a sense in which you're jumping into the river. You're actually soaking in the river. You're soaking in the Spirit of God and that not only strengthens you, that makes you glad, even in times of trouble. In fact, I want to talk a little bit about what we're doing this week and the weeks to follow as the Lord leads us. 
to provide opportunities for every one of us to spend some more time in the river. Let me give you just an overview of our week-long schedule. Of course, we start Sunday today with a time of really being in the river in worship and in the Word. But it doesn't stop on Sunday. Because then Monday night and Friday night, we have special times at 7 p.m. of worship and prayer where you can do what? Where you can jump in the river, where you can soak in the presence of God and be filled with the Spirit of God. But it doesn't stop there. Midweek on Wednesday, we have another corporate service where we have corporate worship and another message from the Word followed by discussion questions where you can do what? Or again, you can jump in the river and you can soak in the presence of God. But it doesn't stop there. On Tuesday and Thursday at noon, we're having a question answer time. On Tuesday, it'll be with me. You can, you can send in your questions for an hour from 12 to 1 where I'll do my best to answer your questions from the Bible. And then on Thursdays, Steve Hedlund, our college pastor, will, will also do the same thing from the Cornerstone at noon on Thursdays. And also there are, there's going to be opportunities for Adventureland, uh, all of those that uh, are involved in Adventureland ministry with your children, that you can actually go on Facebook and you can really lock into some great encouraging times uh, with your children from Adventureland staff. Also, there are a number of ministries that are putting out all kinds of opportunities for you to connect with their ministries and be involved in other Bible studies. I encourage you to take advantage of all those. In fact, every morning, uh, starting tomorrow morning, there's also going to be a five-minute devotional that you can, that you can log into, uh, you know, by, led by one of our pastors or one of our elders. Now, why are we offering all this? Why are we offering all this opportunity for you to jump in this river and be strengthened and be made glad. Let me tell you why this is so strategic right now. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The next verse, verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, why would the shepherd make the sheep lie down in green pastures? See, the truth is, the shepherd knows what's coming next in the journey but the sheep don't the sheep don't know when it's time to rest and feed and get prepared for things that are coming up the sheep don't know but the shepherd does that's why there's times where the shepherd will make the sheep lie down in green pastures and rest and feed so they'll be ready for what's coming next in the journey now the truth is the church around the world is not ready for what's coming next the shepherd knows what's coming next, even though the sheep don't. And he really wants to cause us to make us lie down in green pastures and feed on the Word of God so we'll be ready for what is coming next. So let me add one more thing that I encourage you to do. This would be a great time in your personal times with the Lord to read long portions of Scripture. If you've never done this before, to take time to like read the whole Gospel of John in one setting. Or read the whole book of Isaiah or Jeremiah in one sitting. This is a great time to just really feed and feed and be strengthened and prepared for what's coming next. So jump in the river. This is a time to soak in the river, to draw near to God, to be strengthened, and to be ready for the next stage of the journey. Now you'll discover that wherever the river flows, there is a reviving effect. 
Uh, we saw this really with uh, two weeks ago in Madagascar with our, our pastor's conference. So many of the pastors who came from all over the country of Madagascar, many traveled 12 hours uh, to get there, and they, they came really dry. By the time they left, they were, they were one after another was telling me how revived they felt, how they were ready to get back into spiritual battle. And what they're really saying is, without knowing it, is we've been in the river. We are revived because we've been spending time, extensive time in worship and prayer and in the Word. And so, so that's really what we need to do right now. We need to realize, number one, God is our refuge. Don't be afraid. God is resident in me. And God is also sends a river, a river to strengthen us and to make us glad during this time. I look at Psalm 46, verse 5 next. It says, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. See, if God is resident, I mean, the city of God is immovable, he said. So God's help for us is sure where he dwells. Just like the city of God is secure because God dwells there, God dwells in us and we can be secure because God dwells with us. Now, how does God's help work in a time like this? Well, a lot of times, the way God sends his help is through his people. Another thing I want you to notice is that on our website, under our response to the coronavirus, you'll notice two buttons. There is a get help button and a give help button. If you need help, just click on that get help button and fill out the information and let us know how we can help you. And if you say, I'd like to know how I can give help, click on the give help button and you can fill out the information and let us know how you might be able to help. God is our helper, but sometimes the way he helps us is through our brothers and sisters right here in our grace family. So what do I do in trouble? I realize all these things. I realize that God is my refuge, my present help in time of trouble. I realize that God is resident in me. I am secure in that the one who can, most high who controls everything lives in me. And I realize that God sends a river, and I take advantage of this time to jump in the river, to soak in his presence, and to feed on the word. Now, the next thing I want you to notice is what is God doing at this time? We've been focusing on what we should be doing, but let's look at what God is doing. That's also in Psalm 46. Let's read it. Psalm 46, verse 6 through 9. It says, The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Now, what is the psalmist describing right here, and why is he describing it here? Well, there's another time that the same series of events is described in our Bible. In fact, it's described another time, but also it's elaborated on. Let's look at that passage. It tells us a lot about this time. It's in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. It says this, Now it will come about, that in the last days the mountains of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief as the chief of the mountains 
and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. So here again we're told of a time when wars will cease on the earth. And as she says, it'll happen in the last days. In fact, we're told even more in this passage. We're told these events that are described here and also described in Psalm 46 actually happen when Jesus comes again and judges the nations. So what's the point here in Psalm 46? The point is that all this trouble is going somewhere. The point is that the events of the earth are being directed by God for his purposes. The point here is that God is going to accomplish all of his purposes on the earth and bring about the return of his son to the earth. God is in control and no matter what may happen on the earth, God is guiding it to his end purposes of bringing Jesus back to the earth. That's what God is doing. So not only is he our refuge, is he a resident in us? Does he send a river to us? But he is a reigning king over all of history, accomplishing his purposes. That's why we can do the next thing. That's why we can relax. Here's what it says in Psalm 46:10: Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Cease striving. Some of your translations say be still and know. The word can be translated simply relax. Just relax and know that he is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. There was a guy, he was really apprehensive about his first airplane ride. And his friends were eager to hear how it went after he finally disembarked from the flight. And they said, well, how did it go? And he commented and said, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. But I'll tell you this, I never did put all my weight down. See, the truth is he never really came to the point where he felt like he could relax. If we realize that God is our refuge... I mean, really believe that, receive that. And we realize that God is a resident in our lives. The Most High lives in you. And we also experience God as a river right now, as he sends his river, the ministry of his spirit, and we soak in that river. And then we also realize he's the reigning king over all of this. He's guiding all this with a purpose in mind. If we have all that understanding, then we can relax. And we can trust him because he's got this. See, we already know how the story ends. In 1980, America really was in a ditch. It was in a ditch economically. 
On top of that, the Cold War was in its fury. Russia seemed bigger than us, more powerful than us at that time. Our hostages were being held in Iran. In fact, some of you remembered under the cover of night, we sent some troops to rescue them, but their helicopters crashed in a desert sandstorm. At the same time, America entertained the world at the Winter Olympics at Lake Placid. In fact, part of the venue was hockey, and Russia was playing the USA. It was their pros against our young amateurs. And I believe it was simply the best sporting event of all time. I remember watching this game on the edge of my seat. I was uptight. My stomach was in knots. My knuckles were white. I was anxious the entire game. All through the second period, we were ahead. Going to the third period, I thought, I know what's going to happen. Russia's going to, they're going to score five goals. The game's going to be over. They're going to beat us, and we're going to be embarrassed again. But that didn't happen. Not this time. This time we won, and I was so excited. I remember jumping off of my couch and screaming and running around the house. It was a glorious moment. In fact, it was such an awesome time that the networks all played the, the match again on, on Sunday evening. And so I did. I, I watched it again that Sunday evening. But this time, there wasn't a knot on my stomach, and I wasn't the least bit anxious. In fact, I remember I leaned back put my feet up on the coffee table. I ate a whole box of Oreos during the game, and I was totally relaxed. Now, what was the difference? What was the difference from the first time when I was all anxious and the second time I was relaxed? I saw the same game, same events. The difference was I knew something, and it's what I knew that made all the difference. See, I knew the outcome. Because I knew the outcome, I could relax throughout the entire game. Well, we know the outcome of where God is guiding all these events right now. And that's for the return of His Son to rule the earth. We also know the outcome of whatever any believer is going through. God promises He'll turn it for His glory and our good. We know the outcome already. Now, there's something else you can know for sure. You can know that his reputation rides on your problems. Think about that for a moment. I mean, we ourselves are children of God. Our friends and our neighbors, they know that we're followers of Jesus Christ. And some of them might be saying, yeah, uh, you're a follower of God and all that, but why is he letting this happen in, in your life? I want you to notice the end of verse 10. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. See, God is jealous for his reputation, and his reputation rides on your problems and my problems. So you can count on it that God will bring this problem that we're facing right now to a resolution in such a way that it glorifies him and it brings good to his people. We already know the outcome. The outcome is sure. The outcome is, God's got this. He really has got this. So relax and trust Him. You know, we sing a song sometimes around here entitled, The Lion and the Lamb. And there's, a song, there's one line in that song 
It's a favorite part of the song for me. And it says, Who can stop the Lord Almighty? The answer is, no one and nothing. So let's close by singing this song. And let's sing it believing every word we sing. And as we do, just let the Spirit of God rest upon you and relax.
Praise God. Lord, we just, we praise you. Who can stop you? You are the God who is in control. We trust you. Our hope is in you. We rest in you today. This week, this month. Amen. Amen. Give someone a hug in your home. Tell them you love them. And have a great week. God bless you.